0: Hey y'all. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of 13. We've reached the season of love and to celebrate, we'd like to show some love to our new patrons. Sheldon Dude, D.D., Sean Rodkey, Carla Bills, Zoe Marie Radley, Corinne Schweizer, Olivia Newsom, Kay Gladstone, Alpha Bavel, and TR. Thank you guys so much for your support. If you're curious about joining the pod fam, but you don't know where to start, we have tiers as low as $1 for folks who just want ad-free main episodes or $5, which gives you access to extra stories each month, plus over two years of past extra stories. Our perks include things like updates on the show, exclusive merch, and access to our patron-only Discord, where you can chat about the show or whatever else is on your mind. We also host special events for our patrons. And in fact... Later this week, on Friday, February 16th, we're having a patron-exclusive live event. We'll be recording a brand new story live on our Discord. We'll also be answering questions submitted by our patrons, and it's going to be a lot of fun. If you want to learn more about that event and other perks, check us out on Patreon. We'll have a link in the show notes. This month's episode is The Bridal Cure, written by Sarah Pratt this is part one of a two-part story. Part two will be dropping in your feed tomorrow on Valentine's Day. Our Valentines, our patrons, have access to the full story now, ad-free on Patreon. Are you ready? Sit back, turn down the lights, and now, on with the show. Homas have a way of clearing your social calendar, and life, or its abrupt end, has a schedule to follow. So they buried you, even though you wanted to be cremated. The service was apparently lovely, a word you'd wrinkle your nose at. In lieu of flowers, your family asked for donations to the Humane Society, which I guess is lovely, but it's also kind of random, since you liked animals in the general way everyone does, but you never had so much as a pet gerbil. A pastor rhapsodized your travel blog and zeal for neighborhood garage sales, and people brought flowers anyway. Your funeral was everything you never wanted, and I slept through it all. Beyond the archway, I can see the dining room, where orderly mountain ranges of sandwiches huddle next to the coffee urn. Various wines and a bottle of scotch. Verdi trills through the stereo. Your cousins, aunts, uncles, and friends flow through the gravy-scented rooms in tidal groups. Some somber, but most not. This is your wake. And for everyone else, you've been gone a while. I'm the one they waited for. And it's me that's out of phase. Staring at the paisley wallpaper in your Aunt Doe's sitting room, the one no one ever uses. And now there are footprints in the carpet, and I hate that this weird death party is more for me than for you. Hey, sunshine, how are you holding up? That low octave everyone uses with me now worms into my ear canal and your mom's hand squeezes my shoulder. I squeeze back. My fingers slide from Beverly's into my hair, over the stubbled regrowth and the barbed wire of stitches. Holding up, she doesn't mean the sharp shovel of grief excavating my figurative guts. I'm not well. Physically, The wallpaper breathes. Peacock blue teardrops bulge, threatening to spill onto Doe's formerly trackless pile. Sunlight slashes through the bay window, and I have a sense of vestibular upset, only vaguely aware of the arrangement of my body in the space, only vaguely aware of the chintz cushion beneath my ass, of the ugly slippers on my feet and the black sack of a dress covering a body still swollen from steroids. Ironically, meant to reduce the size of my ballooning brain. No one's fault, they said, and they're still saying it in that weird low voice. An accident, deer in my headlights. You're dead. And I was lucky. So lucky. Bev is still talking. If you need to lay down, just say the word, okay? Uh, thanks, Bev. I mutter. I just need something to drink. Let me get it for you. I'm sorry. This was a bad idea. Her face corrugates with worry. Your mom is beautiful. Like crazy pretty. I love looking at her, and it's only because I've been doing it since I was five years old that it doesn't creep her out. She's still as gorgeous as ever, but for the first time, she looks old. Her skin is like hospital toilet paper. Beverly departs, and I return to my interrogation of the wallpaper. I'm going in for a solid zone out but the music switches to smooth jazz. And there goes that plan. I hate jazz, but I catch myself smiling at the thought of you blasting the lazy cat playlist on Sunday mornings when the waffles were ready. The one thing guaranteed to get me out of bed. I'd shamble into the kitchen and you'd greet me with a showbiz smile and fluttering jazz hands. Tight voices yank me out of my first clear memory in a long time. In the china cabinet glass, I see the reflection of your mom and sister in the foyer. For God's sake, Wiz. What? It was Grandma's. I can't believe you. I am not doing this right now. Wait, Mom. Okay. Hart would want us to have it. Your brother? would want us to support his wife. Well, they weren't married yet. So what? You wanna yank the ring off her finger at his wake? Paris is a part of our family. You've known each other since you were girls. How can you... We are not having this conversation. I consider my fingers swollen, fleshy caterpillars. Nowhere near the size of your family heirloom. And I have no idea where it is, by the way. Your grandmother's ring. A pearl in a nest of tiny diamonds. Did someone take it off after the accident? They do that, don't they? They must have, or I would have lost the finger. Of course, your mom stood up for me. It's not that I doubt Bev's sincerity, But I can't help wondering if it's just desperation to hold on to any scrap of her son that remains. Wiz stands listless by your weeping mother, offering neither comfort nor reproach. Typical. Your sister has good qualities, but she can be so fucking mean without even trying. It broke our friendship when we were teenagers. You were the only thing we had in common. And now that you're gone, it's clear Wiz is the blade severing whatever ties remain between me and the only family I've ever had. Thread by thread. And I want that to hurt. I want it badly. Wiz glances at me and our eyes lock. Your gray eyes stare out of her face. I feign blankness, like I didn't overhear the conversation. Not that Wiz would act any differently if I'd been standing right in front of them. That's what makes her the easiest and hardest person to be around. I don't remember deciding to abandon the wake. I just walked out with everyone staring, all your friends and family, everyone who's had a month longer to process the U-shaped hole left in their lives. No one tried to stop me. The street slides beneath my feet. My fingers struggle with the cellophane as I unwrap the fresh pack of pall malls. Some of it blows away, and I can't muster the will to lumber after it. So there's that. I've littered. The lighter presents a similar challenge to my puffy digits, but I get the damn cigarette in my mouth, and I manage to light it on the fourth try. You didn't smoke, but you liked to watch me when I did. You said it was hot, in a filthy sort of way. I'm probably not supposed to smoke, It's likely in bold print in the recovery instructions I got from the neurologist's office. But the nicotine delivers its delicious punch to the face, obliterating any regrets. I take a second drag and hold it in my lungs, and I exhale in a smoky sob. Fat tears cut tracks through the heavy makeup that Beverly applied to make me look slightly more alive than you. I guess we would have been married by now. Exhaling again, I drag my sleeve across my eyes and I glance around, wondering for the first time where the hell I am. Downtown-ish, brick buildings with ground level storefronts for restaurants, yarn shops, coffee shops, bookshops, and the world's tiniest Best Buy, a good way from Aunt Doe's neighborhood. Traffic grinds in both directions, and my fellow pedestrians smear past in a hurry, every one of them knowing exactly what they want and where to get it. A pneumatic hiss draws my eye to a bus peeling away from the curb. I'll need a transit pass. I'm not allowed to drive yet, and anyway, our car, like it's cargo, was apparently totaled. I was told all of this. I had to be told a lot of things. When I think about the accident, all I see is your wide eyes below a majestic set of antlers. My brain did that, mashed you and the deer into the same beautiful thing. My swollen face has finally returned to something my phone recognizes, which is a relief. I'm searching for a rideshare app, and I see several missed calls and a text from Beverly. I respond, thumbing out the truth. I was overwhelmed, but now I'm okay, and I'm getting a ride home. I promise to call later, and I wonder if I'm lying. Mandy, in a Honda Civic, Pulls up three minutes later. I wonder if she notices my slippered feet and blood-webbed eyes. We ride in silence down the busy shopping district. But then she turns down a side street to avoid traffic. Wait, can you pull over? I say, my voice is a rasp. Mandy jerks to the curb, begging me to not be sick in her car. She's clearly confused as she's driven me all of three blocks but I tell her sorry and that I'll leave a good tip. Before I slam the door, I can hear her asking if I'm okay. I don't have the energy to respond. I'm quite aware that my appearance and behavior are disturbing. But I am disturbed. You disturbed me greatly by dying. Mandy pulls away and I take a closer look at what necessitated cutting my trip short. It's a house, small and old, converted into a shop. There's a sign in front, in simple font. The bridal cure. I expect the door to creak, but the glass knob turns easily, and the heavy wood swings open, clanking against a bell. Inside, Soft light reveals a navy carpet, dark-paneled walls, and a luxuriously sparse gallery of mannequin brides. Good afternoon. An almost aristocratically androgynous individual steps onto the floor. They're dressed in a fine suit. It's a deep shade of plum. I am Devo. May I help you? My first reaction is to wonder if Devo is a man or a woman. Then my second thought is to scold myself for that first thought. And my third is to cut myself some slack because human brains are addicted to their binaries and my fiancé just fucking died. Devo's smooth forehead creases slightly. Their hazel eyes glitter in the flattering light cutting across a set of cheekbones snatched to the gods. Devo is not merely beautiful, they're dazzling. Typically, we are by appointment only though. They approach, extending an elegant hand, not in greeting, I realize, but in rescue. In my sack of a dress and my slippers, gazing vacantly as I try to remember how to interact with another human being. I must look like I need help. Are you alright? Devo asks. Their hand hovering next to, but not actually touching, my elbow. Okay. One way or another, I am pulling out of this dive. I plaster on my best attempt at a smile. I'm great. I hope it's okay to drop in like this. Devo withdraws their hand and doesn't smile the way you'd expect of a retail worker. But the general vibe is affirming, so I charge on ahead, words tumbling out of my mouth. I'm getting married in a month. Devo arches an eyebrow. Oh, a month. And I don't have a dress. I nod, realizing it's the truth. I have no earthly idea what the fuck I'm doing right now. But I do know that I never did get around to the most basic thing you need for a wedding. Though the reasons why are unavailable to me at the moment. I've, uh, never actually been inside a bridal shop before. It's an honor to be your first. Come in and I'll bring a few things out for you, miss... Oh, it's Paris. Miss Paris? Just Paris. I know it doesn't really suit me, but my mom was a romantic. The idea of a city of lights was, I don't know, some kind of heaven to her. She never did go. To heaven? I don't know why I'm telling them all this, but all I get is another arched eyebrow as they open a wall panel revealing a cumulus rack of white dresses. Normally, I'm, I'm not this size, I blurt out. Why? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Mm. Every bride's cure is different. Huh, uh, you make marriage sound like a disease. We choose our ills more often than not. I only help you dress for the occasion. While they busy themselves amongst a nest of white floof, I wander to the open door of a fitting room. It's not a coffin-sized stall, but instead it's a spacious alcove with a raised pedestal surrounded on all sides by mirrors. On the pedestal sits an ornate bronze stand, and there's a dress hanging from it. A long-sleeved, high-neck sheath of white lace in a woven paisley pattern. It's vintage. Their sweet breath on the back of my neck jerks me to life, like a marionette called to the stage. And it's in excellent condition. Not a hint of yellowing. Devo sachets around me and into the mirrored fitting room, lifting the dress from its stand. White is the absence of color, you know. They give my black dress a once-over that is neither derisive nor approving. White displays every stain a life leaves on this world. Wearing it is a... Radical expression of vulnerability. Not knowing what to say, I nod to the dress, held like a ghost in their lovely hands. White lace draped over their skin, soft and unblemished. What a thing to be held the way that Devo holds that dress with such care But, who am I kidding, Devo only touches beautiful things, never wastes time with objects that fail to please on an aesthetic level. If they had a partner, they'd have an edgy haircut and pretty feet, and they'd wear experimental pants and read exclusively nonfiction and cook with truffle oil and those fancy little onions. Damn it, what are those called? My corrupted memories retrieval system fritzes and then, surprisingly, greenlights the request. Shallots. Overrated. Devo replies as if it weren't a random word sputtered from my damaged brain. They wave me forward. Come in, my dear. This fitting room is a shrunk down version of the jewelry box I had as a little girl, one with a spinning ballerina in the center. All of the mirrors create a brilliant feathered effect of not quite shadow, but subtle variations in light. Without fuss, Devo unzips my black dress and pulls it over my head, lifting my hair and exposing the stubbled patch of scalp and sutures. If they notice, they don't react. My body, in a gray sports bra and polka dot panties, is on display from every angle. Since coming home from the hospital, I've pretty much avoided mirrors. I can't bear to look at my bloated flesh, my bruises, scars, thinning hair, and the hollow eyes of a stranger. Radical expressions of vulnerability though. I sneak a glance and I'm shocked to find that I don't look nearly as swollen and unfamiliar as I expected. A strategic combo of lighting and mirror placement, I'm sure, but I'll take it. Diva holds the unzipped dress at my feet. I notice that there's no solid underlay only cleverly layered lace creating opacity in the bodice and the skirt. In you go, love. Two unsteady steps, and Devo pulls the sheath up the column of my body. They feed my arms into the sleeves authoritatively, like a parent dressing a toddler. With a brisk whir, the zipper is up and I'm cinched into the dress's embrace. I expect the lace to be itchy, but it's as supple as flower petals. The fit is as close to perfect as anything I've ever had on my body. The bust doesn't bind. The waist sits in the exact right spot. The shoulders are neither too tight nor too loose. Wow, I murmur, and Devo chuckles. (laughs) Go on. Look. Again, I resist the urge. Instead, I inspect my ringless left hand. And I wonder if Devo has noticed. Of course they have. They're in the business of detail. But that doesn't mean anything. Not all brides wear rings. Not all brides are brides. White shows all the stains. I lift my chin to meet my own eyes, and they instantly fill with tears. It's me, the me I see in my mind, strong and healthy, in an ethereal confection of a dress. Here on this pedestal, in this mirrored light, creating endless glittering reflections, I I'm the spinning ballerina. Lace shifts lightly between my shoulder blades, like the fingers of a lover, skimming down my spine and along my arms, across my chest. I inhale sharply and I'm aroused. Devo steps behind me, eyes on my reflection and pulls my hair back off of my shoulders. Their thumb grazes the line of staples, and scar tissue thrills at the touch. My cheeks bloom pink, and heat unfurls between my legs like a bloody red hibiscus. How does it feel? how it feels it's like it's breathing the lace lifting and pressing against my body in a primal rhythm i hear whispers faint at first female voices growing louder, joined by the sound of weeping, no, sobbing, ugly, gut-born sobs. A terrible sound. Sweat slicks under my arms, and the formerly soft lace begins to itch, scoring tender blue veins on the insides of my wrists. And the whispers grow into a roar of feminine secrets, and <sighs> I'm going to faint. I'm, I'm going to go away again. I'm going to go away so far, so far, I'll never come back through the darkness bleeding in from my periphery, from the nothing that should have swallowed me the first time. Then... In a sudden implosion of sound, the din collapses into the voice of a single woman. But aren't you relieved? My knees surrender and I crumple, burying myself alive in a shroud of white paisley. Easy, easy, relax. Devo catches me and sweeps the hair off of my sweaty forehead. Get me out of this, please, I I can't. The lace is sandpaper grinding away at my bark, exposing the raw grain beneath. Get it off of me. Devo picks me up and begins to undress me with all the effort of folding a silk scarf. The zipper is down, my arms pull free of the sleeves, and the itching relents. I scuttle back to the chair and I yank my black shift over my head inside out, not giving a single fuck for modesty or dignity. In the time it takes to get to my feet, Devo has the dress back on its hanger, as though I'd never set foot in it. Perfect, except it's not. A shred of lace hangs from the cuff of one sleeve. I'm so sorry, I must have ripped it. I'll pay for it. Devo grins, and I mean grins. Wolfish white teeth too large for their tapered jaw. Every cure is a story. And in that way, the story rewrites itself for each bride. Romantic, don't you think? It's a weird idea. You would have loved it. What sort of bride does this dress cure? Devo cradles my face in their hands. Fingertips grazing my jaw in a way that makes me salivate uncomfortably. The kind that cures herself, Paris. My name slips off of Devo's tongue more fluently than it's ever stumbled off of mine. I stare into their eyes. Shimmering hazel, to green, to blue and back again in the diamond light of the fitting room. Behind them, the dress hangs empty, damaged, a story unwritten, unfinished. Those whispers swim in my head, willing me to see, to remember, to face the darkness without blinking. I have to go. You did a brave thing today. Come back when you're ready. Devo pulls a card from their jacket pocket, and they press it into my hand. The Bridal Cure, Devo, Sartorial Mythologist. Our condo is more or less how you left it. Not in a bad way. I'm still off on disability, but I'm not totally isolated. Sure, I fall asleep on the couch watching Midsummer Murders and eating tacos. And I do smoke cigarettes on the balcony and flick them into your gardenias. But I also shower. I do the dishes. And I tidy up with the assistance of your robot vacuum. I function, in other words. But I haven't changed anything. I haven't packed up your stuff. Your hiking gear in the closet. Your books on the shelves. And even your glasses on the desk. It helps me believe that you might walk in the door any second. I myself haven't really left the house in the past couple weeks with the exception of a follow-up with my neurologist. I'm halfway through a cup of Earl Grey when my phone buzzes, predictably. This is also Beverly's tea time. Her message said, Hi, sunshine, just checking in. I haven't heard from you in a while. We're all worried. Sweet of her to include everyone in the big cloud of worry. Beverly always made me feel included. As kids, Wiz and I would tumble into their house after school, kicking off our shoes and tossing our book bags on the bench by the door. And Bev would be at the kitchen table with a fresh pot of tea. And she always poured a cup for me. I read all the messages she sent over the last two weeks. Are you doing okay? Just checking in. Paris, what the fuck? Where are you? That one's from Wiz. Wiz. Sunshine, I'm getting worried. Please text me back. Five missed calls from Beverly. Hey P, I get that you're in hermit mode, but you're not the only one who's lost someone. Wiz, again. Paris, did I do something to upset you? Please just let me know if you're okay. Two missed calls from Beverly. One missed call from Wiz. Really? The silent treatment? Real mature. You were a couple grades ahead, and you didn't get home until closer to dinner. Sometimes I stayed. Sometimes I went back to the trailer for mac and cheese with my mom. I never told you much about her, but I wish I had. I let you believe she was worse than she was. She didn't drink or beat me, but I disappointed her. I wasn't what she expected of motherhood. We're related, but we were never a family, not like yours. I don't think you noticed me as anything other than your little sister's friend until university. By then, Wiz and I weren't so close. The blunt edges I'd once found solid and grounding had begun to feel cold. She was a rock, incapable of bleeding, and she had no patience for the soggy emotions of 18-year-old me. I was lost and friendless. You'd taken a gap year to travel, which turned into two years, much to Beverly's chagrin, and we found ourselves in the same intro to Western philosophy class. The cloud of loneliness around me must have been palpable, and you were kind, you were always kind. Of all the classes in the world, you said, grinning as you slid into the seat next to mine. Heart? I gasped, staring at you, not quite believing it. Your red hair was longer, shaggy. It needed to be washed. An unfortunate spiderweb tattoo wrapped your left elbow. And a salty animal smell wafted off you in nostalgic waves. Oh my God. Classes started two weeks ago, I said, and you are filthy. You laughed, big and loud as ever. And just like that, I was home, walking back into the house I'd always lived in, but through a door I'd never used. Another buzz from my phone. I stare into my tea, gone gray with cold. It's Wiz. I don't wanna bring it up over text, but since you've gone dark side of the moon, we need to talk about Grandma's ring. Mom won't say anything, but Hart would want it to stay in the family. I feel rage burning in me. What does Wiz know about what you want? What does she know about anything? I dump my tea down the sink, the milky scent of bergamot swirling in my nose. On a whim, I empty my purse onto the counter. Tissues, receipts, five lip glosses, keys, and wallet. No ring, but amongst the detritus, there's a scrap of white lace. It catches the edge of my fingernail, and I hold it up to the window letting the sunlight filter through the delicate shreds of Paisley. How did this get into my bag? Next, I rummage through the duffel Bev brought for me at the hospital. No ring in there, either. Our bedroom hasn't been touched since the last day we woke up together. I've been sleeping in the guest room. I open the door and immediately your scent assaults me. You always smelled like a woodland creature, and for just a moment, I expect you to be there. Leaning back in your old jeans against the headboard, reading on your iPad. My eyes blur as I stumble to the dresser, bracing myself against it, wincing at the pain ratcheting up my skull the way that it does Every time I cry, I stare hard at my hands, and I see them, not clutching the edge of the dresser, but the steering wheel in a darkened car, streetlights flickering over my bare fingers. That night, the ring I'd hardly taken off since you gave it to me, I wasn't wearing it. My little jewelry box sits atop the dresser, where it always has. A child's treasure chest. A miniature of Devo's dressing room. I open the pearly lid, releasing a whisper of music and exposing a blonde princess in a pink dress, molded permanently into a mid-twirl. She hasn't spun in years. The mechanism busted from many overzealous crankings by a girl alone in her bedroom, dreaming of a different life. Between two velvet cushions, there it is, my ring. Your grandma's ring, I guess. I pluck it out and slide the slim band over my finger. It fits again. The pearl is lustrous in the late afternoon light. We'd stood right here, at the foot of our bed, arguing. What do you mean you don't have a dress? I'm sorry, I, I... You just straight up lied to me, P. I know. I didn't mean to. But why? I told you, we could just elope or go to City Hall. It doesn't matter to me. It still doesn't. You're the one who said we had to do this right. Your mom would die if we eloped. Don't put this on her. You weren't even angry. You were afraid. Afraid because you saw already what I hadn't yet dared to face. Heart, please. I willed you not to say it. But then you looked at me with the saddest eyes. You don't want this, do you? I turn the ring on my finger. I always wanted you. I still do. If I could have stitched you into me, I would have. My heart slams against my sternum and my lips go numb. The ringing in my ears rises to a piercing volume. I clutch the lace tightly and a low chorus of whispers blunts the screams of my battered brain. It doesn't matter now, does it doesn't. You know what you did. The women are back. We all know is done. We understand. All of us, we understand you. Lace winds around my knuckles, wetly alive like fresh hide a single thread snags onto my skin, tugging just hard enough to sting. The shop isn't as obscure as I remember. A yellow house, half a block from the busy thoroughfare. A quaint sign hanging in the yard. Two weeks ago, I shambled in from my dead fiancé's wake. Now I've got my shit together. Slacks and a blouse. Shoes that are comfy, but actual shoes. Business casual bride. My staples are out, leaving only a livid line of scar tissue on the back of my head. And the hair has grown in from prickly stubble to soft fuzz. My phone buzzes, and I guess it's about tea time. I shouldn't even look. I know I shouldn't. You always got after me for having to check messages immediately. I couldn't help it then, and I still can't help it now. But it's not Beverly. It's Wiz. Mom is losing her mind, P. Proof of life, that's all. Please. Surely I can do that. I mean, I look good right now. A little hammered around the eyes, but with sunglasses, I am a single lady living her best life, heading into a second fitting of her wedding dress, even though her fiance is dead. And that's okay, because everyone grieves differently. And I am definitely grieving in a way that is normal and not in a way that is weird. Just a selfie, smile, Peace sign, send. Surely, Paris, surely you can do that for the woman who has loved and cared for you your whole life. It's your voice, strong and clear and sure of yourself. I'm paralyzed with missing you. And I'm so glad you aren't here to see me like this, how I really am without you how I always was. The bell clanks overhead, hardly a magical sound, and it grounds me, allowing my heart to slow and my whole chest to fill with the smell of incense. Dragon's blood, I think. That's how observant I am, alert and attentive in the world. And as a result, I realize It's not actually you I miss right now. Not your laugh, your wild game smell, or your instinctive consideration of others. Those things made my life easy and enjoyable, sure. But what I miss right now is blunt, harsh, and solid. A rude shake demanding my presence in the moment. I miss Wiz. Paris, welcome back. Their voice winds through the mannequins, naked and white as a forest of dead trees. Devo emerges, jacketless, tie loosened, top button open, shirt sleeves rolled up, showing their smooth forearms. Casual, yet no less intentional than a three-piece suit. They've been working hard, a pearly sheen of sweat on their forehead, dark hair flopping in slight disarray and glowing with amber highlights. My apologies, love. They cock their head towards the chaotic maze of limbs. I'm re-merchandising. Are they cured then? Devo's eyes narrow. Are you? Would I be here if I were? Do you get many return brides? (laughs) Touché, love. Come in. The carpet crushes luxuriously beneath my feet as I follow Devo deeper into the recesses of the house that feels much larger on the inside. They lead me into the same jewelry box fitting room, and there's the dress, my dress, an angel wing hanging from a bronze stand. Can you manage? They ask, gesturing to the dress. I nod, and their smile is small, but utterly sincere. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'll be back in a moment to zip you up. My smart clothes come off, and this time I neatly fold and place them on the cushioned chair. This time I'm wearing pretty underwear and the right bra. This time my body, while still scarred and atrophied, is stronger and more familiar terrain than the distorted carcass I inhabited two weeks ago. I step into the dress, sliding the paisley lace over my hips and slipping my arms into the sleeves. The torn cuff remains, a single imperfection. I should give Devo the scrap of lace I'd stolen. This dress is old, a work of art, and surely it's impossible to source a matching pattern. There's a light tap at the fitting room door. Devo enters and gently zips the back of the dress. They tug and pinch the fabric here and there, adjusting how it lays over my skin. But I sense it's just for show. The dress is perfect, but how? Given the changes in my body since the last fitting, how could Devo know? Every dress, a cure. Every cure, a story. Every story, rewriting itself for every bride. Devo was right. It is romantic. Truly bespoke, they declare. I see Devo, seeing me, reflected from every possible angle. A hundred Parises, Wearing a hundred pearl rings And thousands of petal white paisleys A cure for every ill And I know that Devo knows They know it all You must, you must think that this is strange and Devo steps forward. They take my left hand in both of theirs, their index finger tracing the pearl setting of my engagement ring, the one that Wiz would probably cut my entire finger off for. Did you know that the Paisley design is Persian? They ask, hazel eyes holding mine. I shake my head my fingers flexing in Devo's firm grip. A cypress tree. Their thumb rubs the frayed lace into my wrist. A symbol of eternal life. The oldest known cypress sprouted over 4,000 years ago. Zoroastrians intimately aligned it with rituals for the dead. Why would a symbol for death be used in a wedding dress? My voice is thin and needy as heat builds where Devo's skin touches mine. Where the fine lace threads tickle their way into my pores. In the old world, white is the traditional color of mourning. And while I know a bride when I see one, I never said this was a wedding dress. A lump clogs in my throat, but I'm not grieving. Nonsense. The itch on my inner wrist ignites into a burn, traveling up my arm. I gasp as the chorus of feminine whispers creeps into my ears. But this time, I pay attention and hear three distinct voices. How can you stand here and look at yourself? You dodged a bullet, honey. How can you live with yourself? Trust me, babe, you can live with yourself just fine. I'm sorry, so sorry. Devo produces a silver hair claw. You've been through something most will never know. The right cure sees it all. They mount the podium and draw my hair up. Their fingers thread, comb, and twist, tugging on my scalp until the fresh cord of scar tissue cries for mercy, for more. And finally, the silver claw slides in, holding it all in place. Look, Devo commands, gripping the back of my neck with incredible strength. I'm afraid, but not of the right things. I'm afraid I'll tell Devo to stop. That I'll tear the dress off and flee like I did last time. That I'll never feel this way again, like a princess in a jewel box. The dress shifts tightening around my stomach, and gliding between my legs, massaging my arms, the lace stirring each hair follicle into an ecstatic frenzy. I see the woman in the mirror. A molten flush erupts from her throat and flows up to her cheeks. I relax into Devo's embrace one hand tight around the back of my neck the other holds my waist as white cypress trees writhe under their palm they hold me firmly like an immobilizing drug I don't want that I want to move I want to lean into the dress I want to give it more of me I want to give it Everything. I think that's enough for today. The only response I muster is a low animal whimper. As they draw the zipper down my spine and deftly pluck the claw from my hair. Releasing the tension on my scalp and breaking the spell. Oh God, what's happening? My face in the mirror is no longer luminous. It's sallow and clammy. I'm sweating and I feel nauseous. Devo steps back. They are more radiant than ever. The cure is working. This isn't right. I struggle out of the dress. But when I try to pull my left arm from the sleeve, I cry out. The frayed lace is not only stuck. It's woven inside the tender skin of my wrist. In a panic, I rip my arm free, wincing at the burn. Dots of blood form in the shallow puncture wounds. Devo steps forward and they take my hand without asking this time, turning it over and using their pinky to smear the blood on my wrist into a teardrop shape. Take the dress home. I yank my hand back. I don't want it. Devo laughs, and their perfect skin glows with obvious pleasure. (laughs) Paris, we both know that's not true. Take it home. Let the cure do its work. Live with it for a few days, then make your decision. The dress sits in a white puddle around my ankles. I'm standing half naked in front of a beautiful stranger in a mirrored fun house where less than a minute ago, I nearly had an orgasm. The dress does things no dress could possibly do. It knows things it can't possibly know. This is a red flag situation, but I feel alive. I step out of the halo of lace. How much for a deposit? Unnecessary. The dress will return how and when it's meant to. Devo says, helping me down from the pedestal. I don't like the sound of that. Something goddamn weird is happening. And I've read enough fairy tales to know how it goes. One way or another, you always pay. My wrist throbs as I twist off the pearl engagement ring, still tight on my swollen finger. Take this, I insist, Devo arches an eyebrow, but accepts the ring. The choice is yours, Paris, and I do mean that. This dress has seen many a widowed bride, but for the cure to work, you must also see yourself. As I leave the shop, the crinkling garment bag slung over my shoulder I think of you. I imagine what you might think of all this. I don't remember the accident. And I don't think I want to. For joining us for this episode of Thirteen, if you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was part one of the Bridal Cure by Sarah Pratt. Part two will be in your feed tomorrow, or it's available on Patreon right now, ad-free. The narrator/slash Paris was me, Brooke Jeanette. Bev was Sarah Ray Warner. Wiz was Kayla Temshiv. Devo was Atticus White Hart was Mason Washer Soleil was Lindsay Reed Aurora was Hannah Wright and Halo was Emma Sherjarko Music composed by Caleb Ritchie. Editing and sound design by Brooke Jeanette Additional assistance from Bridget Freeman and Ian Epperson Learn more about the author Sarah Pratt and all of the fantastic actors featured in this episode by checking the show notes You'll find links to their other work there. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Amy Harper, Jackie Kay, Delta Tango, Chantel Payne, Emily Douglas, Stephanie Klinger, and Jake R. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for your support. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. We've got a patron live event at the end of this week. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can join the Facebook group for 13 Podcast. Just look for the logo. You'll find links to all that in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes too. Bridget Freeman is whispering in your ear. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.